on the panel on RNZ National, Eli Matthewson and Julia Hartley-Moore with me today. Nice to have your company. And let's turn our focus to West Auckland, where challenges are still continuing in the wake of Cyclone Gabriel. Karekare, the small coastal settlement uh, in west of Auckland, was also badly hit. Access all but cut off very hard getting supplies into that community. So for the latest, we have Shalima Wandanhane, who is from the Karekare Resilience Group. Shalima, kia ora, good to have you on the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. First of all, I just send our love from Karekare to all those um, victims and communities in the Hawke's Bay that have been hit hard and to the friends and family of those whose lives were taken by the cyclone. Yeah, kia ora, Shalima. Can I just start actually by saying that you yourself were part of those helping with evacuations and you had some pretty harrowing experiences yourself. Yeah, actually my we're lifeguards at Karikari and my grandfather's also a lifeguard and a firefighter and we were out in the storm that night um, evacuating people, trying to rescue people and um, in really touch and go situations. So we're really grateful that we're all alive and well. The other aspect uh, you mentioned actually off there is really, really just the anxiety right now. I mean, moving on from the cyclone, but, you know, you know uh, there's a little bit of rain uh, coming in in Auckland, not hit Karikari, but just that anxiety going forward. Yeah, we had a little bit of rain after the cyclone and we actually had people having panic attacks in the valley and um, it sort of prompted a whole range of further evacuations. Um, And I think a lot of us have got um, really worried because our roads are currently closed and unsafe in their current condition. But when it starts to rain, we won't be um, able to use them at all. It just won't be safe. And like my own property, we've got a slip down the side of our property and currently that's all exposed with no protection matting or um, any remediation having been done yet. Um, how are efforts going underway to help Karakai get on? Is it, uh, are you seeing action there? Is it a bit slow? Tell us. Karakai was in a really um, strong position as a community because we'd actually developed a resilient Karakai disaster plan for these sorts of situations. Oh, pre-cyclone. And- yeah, pre-cyclone. And so we had um, a team of checkers across the neighbourhood all up and running and we'd actually been into um, at-risk flooding homes in December before the storm to talk to people in the community and provide them with information and prioritise who we'd check on first. Um, and we were, my father and um, daughter were stationed at a fire station in town. So they, my husband, sorry, so they were connected to the police, so we very quickly got patched through to an amazing lady in emergency management who was up from Canterbury, and so she looked after our needs, and because we'd done all this preparation work, we were quickly over to identify how many people we had in the area, which were 95 in the, the valley area at the bottom, 21 people displaced, 19 children, and we even generated a shopping list, Gosh. and they quickly um, dropped in 
supplies and collected and they put a team on the ground for a short while to collect more information. So we were really lucky because of our preparation and because of some um, good lucky connections, we've been really well looked after and are really happy with the response we've received. All right. So we, we work closely to evacuate mm. numbers. So now we've only had 51 left in the valley area. Okay, let's bring the, bring the panel and then you get your back. Stay there, Shalima. Eli. Yeah, wow. Full um, credit to the people of Karikari for being mm. so prepared. And I hope that, that, that there's people out there listening who are now thinking ahead because I think these events, are, you know, they're proving to be yeah. happening more and more. And so um, full credit to you, Shalima, for getting out there and helping people. And Because uh, I know that I, like, despite everything, we still don't have an emergency pack at my house. And, um, you know, yeah. I, I know I've got to sort it out. Got to sort it out now. Just, just that notion of preparedness, same. Yeah. Uh, Julia? Well, I think full credit to you, Shalima. That's, and funnily enough, the first time I actually had an evacuation pack, a plan, I had my car ready and my dog stuff and our stuff. And um, we'd, you know, I really had, had, and I have never done that, I have to say, in all the time I've been here. But this time I really thought, you know what? Because we knew, and these events are going to continue to happen, I thought I got to have all the kit, which I've yeah. got now. So, Shalima, this um, uh, th- this resilience plan, this pre-cyclone resilience plan that Karikari had, that set up and a practice that organised it, could this perhaps be a model for? other smaller communities. Maybe this could be written up as a small report and passed on and shared with others. Definitely. And in fact, um, prior to the cyclone happening, some other communities are already working on their own plans. And we've got lots of learnings to take forward. Like, for example, before the storm hit, we actually had a meeting of our team and we'd started creating WhatsApp groups so we can communicate and we'd even identified batches to evacuate people into if we needed to. And so it meant that we were ready to go and we knew who the people were in the valley and what their their needs were. And we had an amazing clear inward welfare person who really had been checking all those places before and knew her, her people and then could quickly tell me how many people were in the valley and what their needs were um, and the other part of all of this resilience stuff is building community. So we have potluck dinners in our surf club on a Friday oh. night and all of that sort of stuff to keep it going. But prior to this event, I'd actually printed out A3 action plans um, and we just jumped straight into that. And so during the storm to start with, we'd have it in two action plans a day and we'd identify all those things that we needed to do. That's amazing. And yeah, delegate the tasks out. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to you in a couple of weeks, Shalima, see how you're going there in Karika. Meanwhile, okay, just briefly, road's still closed. What's the latest there? Um, yeah, we've got multiple slips all around the road and they're completely closed and we have council people that are unable to drive on them because of their health and safety policy. So some people are in and out. Road's imminently potentially collapsing and they might do so when it rains. So residents, um, some some people are using the roads, but it's all about people's personal level of risk that they're prepared to undertake. So if some people still feel trapped. We've got about 180 houses still without power. And um, yeah, lots of worried, traumatised people 
trying to think about how to make their lives work and get children to school and get to work because um, uh, even if once you make it out of Karakari itself, we've got a major slip that means major detours for us to get into our jobs and schools. But life's going to be hard for a while. Okay, kia ora, Shalima. Uh, we'll stay in touch with you. Thank you for being on the panel today. That is Shalima Wandenhanae uh, from the Karakai Resilience Group there. 17 past four. I'm with Eli Matthewson and Julia Hartley-Moore this afternoon. And the Reserve Bank has re- raised the official cash rate by 50 basis points as expected to 4.75% and signalled more rate rises are needed to combat inflation. Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr today said their projections are for the OCR to peak at 5.5% sometime in the next six months. With us is Cameron Bagri from Bagri Economics. Cameron, kia ora, to be expected? Yeah, pretty much. If you look at the statement, it looked to be business as usual. In fact, the, the broad script with roughly what they outlined in November 2022. You know, inflation's still a problem. With what's called exceeding maximum sustainable employment, which is a fancy way of saying that the unemployment rate is too low. So inflation's too high, unemployment is too low. The OCR continues to go up until we see that inflationary thief get back in jail. Now, unfortunately, if you look at the Reserve Bank's projections, they're still projecting a pretty good old jolt recession over 2023 yeah. and they've got house prices falling 23% from peak to trough. Yeah, so that, that's a pretty big hit to household wealth. I sure think. is. It sure is, uh, Cameron. Can I also bring up something that, um, you know, uh, while you're with us, um, the attention now turns on how we pay for Cyclone Gabriel and you have uh, jumped in and put a bit of a figure on it, the overall figure, and you said $100 billion, taking into account all that needs to be done. An eye-watering figure in any number. Can you unpack that a bit for us? Well, I think the figure I said was in excess of $100 billion. But let's put this in context. Yeah, the Minister of Finance and Treasury have come out and they put a figure on the table that, Cyclone Gabrielle, what's going on you know, around Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, and I presume the estimate included Auckland as well, is going to cost about three, $13 billion in regard to fixing yeah. things, reconstruction, housing damage, fixing the bridges, etc., etc., etc. Now, that's the near-term economic cost, you know, sort of what we call fix and forget, move on. But if you sit there, you look at the spirit of what Hurricane, well, Cyclone Gabrielle means it's highlighting poor infrastructure and we've made an awful lot of bad decisions over a number of decades. So there was a report out by NEWA in 2019 that basically identified 675,000 people in New Zealand were prone to flood risk. Yeah, so we've been building a whole lot of stuff in the wrong places and as the government says, we might need to do a bit of a managed retreat from yes. those areas. There's a whole lot of buildings, there's a whole lot of the road network and there's a whole lot of the electricity system, three water pipings, you name it. We've got one hell of a liability for a bill. So the figure that I threw out there was just to highlight that your $13 billion does not recognise the full scale of challenges. Yeah. I think we are talking a 30-year potential investment boom to actually get on top of what have been a lot of failings over the last 10, 20, 30 years.
It's extraordinary, isn't it, uh, Eli? So uh, this now's the time, Eli, to put down that comedian hat and get into drain laying, get into civil engineering, change your focus. You, re- you I don't know about these. Those don't look like drain laying hands to me. <laughs> these hands are made for the stage, and they they're not made to get dirty. And they stay there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary, and it's just a sad indictment of society in general that we just don't plan for emergencies that are going to happen again back to the theme of planning that uh we talked about earlier hey julia your take on this i just i mean yeah we talked about that last time like the infrastructure like the drains i mean when were they ever looked at and how old are they and this is what why we've had so much damage around the cities especially and but where on earth is that money going to come from i mean you know that's a massive money well, the government's put on the table the idea of a of a levy. Well, in my mind, forget about a levy because a, a levy tends to be for short term. Well, this is obviously not a short term problem. Look, long term, we need to think really carefully about funding something that is pretty critical in regard to infrastructure and where we're going. And what tends to take place with infrastructure is infrastructure tends to be that sort of number that falls out of the bottom, and the government ranges from budget to budget in regard to what the 10-year capital allocation is, subject to trying to make you know, achieve your fiscal objectives, i.e. net debt. You know, I think we need to fundamentally turn things on their head. We need to have a fixed allocation for capital spend within, yeah, give or take a, a couple of billion. So companies know that money is going to be there religiously year after year. And then we go back. That provides a little bit of certainty, and we decide how we're going to fund it. And we can fund it through tax changes. And people are talking about tax cuts. We'll forget about that. If we can right. get away with that tax increases, we're going to be doing a pretty good, damn good job. And then we've got to start to think about prioritisation in regard to spending. Now, the government spending has absolutely skyrocketed in the past five years. Are we getting value for money? Well, we need to have that debate. But what we do know is that we're not getting value for money in regard to the quality of our infrastructure and the risk management around it, to be very polite, is what we call piss poor. On that note, Cameron, thank you for your time. Uh, Cameron Bagri there from uh, Bagri Economics. Um, Yeah. Strong words there from uh, Cameron. Do you agree with what he says there? 21013 past four. By the way, we are going to be talking about rents uh, in the next half of the show because they have reached uh, an all time high. They are nudging $600 a week. That's the median weekly rent. I mean, it's actually quite extraordinary now. I'd like to know that. How are you finding that if you are renting? Um, what are you seeing? I talked to a colleague who said that uh, their rent goes up uh, every single year for the last four years. Text me, 2101. And as people are tackling the daunting cleanup, Consumer NZ has issued advice just reminding people of their rights when it comes to dealing with telcos and power companies. Uh, just two months into the year, insurers think that the year will top 2022's record for extreme weather claims, well over 2,000 claims there, and that's on top of the 21,000 claims after the massive flooding in Auckland and Northland at the end of January. So, Rebecca Stiles from Consumer NZ is with us. Rebecca, kia ora. You there? I am, hi. Yeah, hi. Well, shall we start with insurance? I mean, there'll be thousands of uh, homeowners right now dealing with this. What do I know, what should I know that I might not know? 
Um, well, the first thing, you know, once you've taken pictures of all of the damage and you've approached the insurer and made your initial um, claim, whether that's by phone or uh, via the website, um, there are things like, you know, all the food in your freezer that may have gone off because you've got no power, you can claim for that if you've got a comprehensive oh. um, contents policy. So take a picture of all that food that's going off and write a list and put that in with your claim as well. And if you need to make, um, you know, find temporary accommodation, some policies, um, the comprehensive ones generally, will um, have some allowance to, you know, if you have to put your dog in the kennel or your cat in the cattery uh, for a short period of time. So there's, you know, those um, small things that can make a big difference at this time. That's interesting. Uh, I was talking, Eli, to someone uh, the other week, which was saying in terms of contents for food, someone really said, it might be that this involves one or two large freezers of food. You know, they're not uncommon in rural areas. So that would be a significant amount of food, lots of money to cover up. That's my partner's parents. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to text them after this because they had three there up in Kaipara Flats. They were without power for a week. They lost all their food. Yeah, all gone. So they're in this situation. They're in this, two giant freezers full of food. So I hope, hopefully, they... Have taken the time to take a few snaps of that and get it on record. Yes, Julia. But you know what? I wonder how many people have comprehensive house insurance because it's expensive to have it. Yeah. And mm. and I know exactly right. You think of all the just your everything has gone. Like your how all your food is gone. And I don't think it sounds okay. You know, you can have your pets put in kennels, etc. But that's if you've paid. Do you know a lot of people I know don't even bother to pay and don't have their places insured or to have insurance, household contents insurance. So really, well, they what, 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 what they they have the house insured but not the contents. Yeah, they have the house insured but not the contents. So. Oh. Um, you know, and I think there'll be a lot of people in those sort of situations because of the cost of it. You know, like we, I have it here, but crikey, every month it's, re- it's a massive amount to pay. Now, R- Rebecca, what about mm-hmm. electricity rights? Um, so um, we've put out advice saying, that, you know, if you're not getting power, you shouldn't be paying for it. So um, we would hope that the retailers will come to the party and offer credits or, you know, if you've got a fixed um, rate that they would, you know, have a goodwill gesture to their customers. Someone asks, actually, what about the responsibility of power lines when they come onto your property? Whose responsibility is this? Um, so if it's on your property, like the line you know, from the footpath through where it connects to your house, that's your responsibility. But I would get in touch with the line company because obviously you don't want to be interfering with that um, so they can get it fixed, but you, know, you might have a bit of a, a small charge or um, to fix it. Oh, very good. And just finally, Rebecca, someone asks, uh, how do you know if you have EQC cover? So if you've got um, private house and contents and house insurance, then you have EQ cover, so long as it includes um, fire protection, which most of them do. So that's all handled by your private insurer now. So once you've made that initial contact, um, the EQ cover will um, kick in, bearing in mind that for floods and storms, it's just for the land, the EQC okay. cover, and yep. the private insurer should be making up the rest. Got it. Nice one, Rebecca. Thank you. That's Rebecca oh. Stiles there, a consumer NZ's research team leader. A little bit of a need to know regarding uh, insurance and other things. And by the way, if you go to consumernz.co.nz, they've got a dedicated hub that you can check just on these uh, issues. Um, can I just bring a bit of feedback because 
Look, we ha- did have quite a bit of response regarding moisturising. <laughs> this is important. You know, it's what people. It's it's weird what people want to know. But um, someone says gendering products for men. I mean, come on. I mean, women have been tolerating this rubbish for decades. Talk about the pink tax instead. I've got no sympathy, sympathy, brother. Says Sarah. Fair enough, Sarah. That is fair enough. Yeah. Julia. Oh well, each to your own. Moisturizer is gu- moisturizer is garbage. Says someone. Skin is made from the food we eat. It doesn't need useless. No, it's m- not. No, it's not. It's not. It's made from genetics. It's made. It is made from what you eat. It's made from what you consume. If you smoke and if you drink and if you don't look after yourself, you're not going to age well. Um, it depends on everyone's different. It's everyone has. You know, if they don't care. Well, that's fine, isn't it? But um, well, people that do. Okay. Fair. Okay, Julia, we will get a dermatologist on to talk about this further yeah, from uh, someone, but they go on to say that it doesn't need useless muck like moisturizer on it that achieves nothing but makes swindlers rich. Wow. That's Nivea, not... Nivea costs about 10 bucks. Nivea is really cheap and it's as good as anything else, anything out there. You don't have to spend a fortune. It's just putting some don't moisture you? on well, no. I mean, if you want to treat yourself, you can spend a small fortune. But the main, the, I've always heard the most important thing to wear is sunscreen every single day of the yeah, week. Yeah, that's probably yep. the best moisturiser, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, we sunscreened. It was a hot day this morning, and we sun, I sunscreened little Junior a little bit on my neck and my arms and my nose as well. Um, uh, what's, what's that? That's why your skin's lovely. Oh, thank you, Julia. You see? <laughs> a lot of feedback on your skin today, Wallace. Um, Kyle says, day 10 with no power in Kaukapa Kappa Wallace and I am missing ice cream. Well, uh, kia ora, Kyle. I am sorry to hear that and I really do hope that power uh, comes on. Another one here, we are talking about rent. Sally says, I am having really happy memories of paying $12 per week for my single bedroom flat in central Dunedin when I was a student at Otago University. Uh, it seems I grew up on a different planet. Yeah, we are going to be talking about the astronomical rent prices right now. They have reached an all-time high. We are talking about, get this, $595 a week. That is the national median weekly rent. That is absolutely unbelievable. We are talking about this on the panel. It's time for headlines. Headlines.